From Relay FM, this is Upgrade number 72. Today's show is brought to you by PDF Pen 7 from Smile and Squarespace. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Mike. How's it going? Pretty well, pretty well. Uh, we were just discussing on the live stream before uh, that we're both drinking caffeinated beverages today yes. during the show, which is uh, irregular. So expect a severe uptick in energy uh, around topic number one. <laughs> it's irregular for you. It's not irregular for me. Oh, yeah, because it's very early for you, isn't it? It's Monday, it's Monday morning. I always have a cup of tea with me. I'm very British, of course, as I am. I always have a cup of tea in the, in the morning uh, to prepare me and to energize me for, for upgrade. And I'll take the American coffee in my Portland mug That's fine. today. So. See, we're little, you know, we're, we're going across the Atlantic. It's only fitting. Talking about Atlantic and the UK, uh, I bought muffins, English muffins. <laughs> oh, no. When okay, we're... muffin vertical. Here we are, muffin vertical. When we were doing the, uh, the online shopping, uh, I said to Adina, can we put muffins in, please? And they arrived this morning. I haven't eaten them yet. Um, All right, but I'm saying I'm saying this to close Muffin Gate now. That's right. It's uh, it, the circle. The circle has closed. Mike, Mike bought muffins. <laughs> Eventually, I will eat the muffins, but you will not hear about my opinion. Toast them, and uh, yes, and that that I I'm out of muffins, so we're going to go to the store today, and one of the things we will buy will be muffins, and uh, that's good because I miss them for my breakfast. I'm going like to toast them, them and put jam on them. Oh, good. That's a nice. That's a nice one. That's great. Yeah, it's all. It's all good. Jam on a, a muffin is wonderful. But apparently, as Twitter would let me know, you say that uh, biscuits, what you call biscuits, which are closer to scones uh, than yeah, they are real aren't biscuits, um, you say that they are superior to English muffins. Oh yeah, uh, buttermilk biscuits. So buttermilk biscuits, uh, Southern style buttermilk biscuits, are are fantastic, and there are many ways to to eat them, and I bake them myself here at home on many weekends and they're great but they're fresh you know fresh homemade anything out of the oven is going to be better and those those southern biscuits are better when they're the the difference is that they're really only better right when they're hot and fresh out of the oven and then you know when they cool off they're 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 not as good whereas muffins are are good because they're storable and and they toast up very well and all that but biscuits are are fantastic but uh and if those of you, we'll put a we'll put a link in the show notes to uh, my recipe yep. for those. Um, I got it already. Twitter. The little screenshot yeah, that's that right. you did. It's in there. Yeah, from out of Vesper. Uh, yeah, if if you're somebody outside of the United States who doesn't even know, they're kind of like uh, scones, but they're not. They're not uh, because they're they're moist and uh, la- sort of flaky layers, and scones are a little kind of harder and drier and stuff. But thus ends Muffin Gate. <laughs> Jason, would you say that early January is a quiet time for technology news? No. Well, the muffin conversation would indicate <laughs> that maybe it is. Let's move no. on to some follow-up in regards to the uh, 3.5 millimeter audio jack. Right. Uh, we had a, a bunch of interesting uh, tweets sent into us, yep. and we picked out a few. Uh, the first one is from at Fab, and they said, replacing the 3.5mm jack and lightning ports of a smart connector would be a way to waterproof an iPhone. What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there are rumors that, that based on the teardown of the iPhone 6S and 6S Plus that Apple is already kind of experimenting with um, more water resistance in the iPhone design. And I don't know enough about 
the design of the headphone jack to know whether it's just always going to be a problem in terms of waterproofing a device, but it is a big, you know, hole in your phone that water can get into. So possibly, uh, I'm not sure whether the lightning port is better at that or not, because it is also, you know, it's also a port and it's got a, a hole that water can get into. So my my super unknowledge about all of these things, having just mm. looked at devices, like potentially the lightning port is waterproof because the hole is it ends right because the the port just works via pins mm-hmm. on the so you you know the pins will just connect and I guess you could seal that all up quite nicely um, because there are phones that exist in the world like Android phones that are completely waterproofed that don't always use uh, little caps or whatever over the like the the sockets, like the mini USB or whatever. So maybe it's possible. I don't know if you have to have the smart connector to do that. Right? There there are claims that the current iPhone is kind of waterproof. Right. right. And people were dropping them in bowls of water and stuff like that. The idea of the smart connector is if you have a smart connector, then um then there's nothing, right? The smart connector is just the little magnetic. Uh, yeah. It's not even magnetic, but it's just the three little dots. And then yep. there's also a magnet. The dots aren't magnetic on the iPad Pro. And so theoretically, you are there's nothing, right? And and uh, if you did a smart connector and you did um, the if lightning is waterproofable and if you did like you could also do there there are rumors about uh, wireless charging, uh, induction charging. Then you know there are there are ways to make the the phones more more waterproof. So maybe, like I don't I mean, know, I, I don't know enough about what the smart connector can carry. But I mean, I would find it incredibly surprising if the smart connector replaced both the three point five millimeter jack and yeah. the lightning port in the next I agree. device. I don't even think that the iPhone is going to get the smart connector for some time, if ever. Yeah. It really feels like currently more of an, an iPad thing. It's right. to connect big devices that require power physically to them. Uh, and I don't think that there is an awful lot of uh, stuff that we, you know you could really put an iPhone with. Maybe like a, a speaker, but Bluetooth is kind of the way to go for that kind of stuff. And there's no, ma- no magnets. There's no magnets on No, they could put one in, though, right? Well, they they could, but then they're adding magnets, and then what's the surface area of the magnet if they're trying to make it a thinner iPhone? You you know, you're reducing the amount of surface area to magnetize something, too. It's already kind of a curved side. It would be difficult. Mm Mm-hmm. Nico uh, suggested, couldn't Apple combine Lightning and Bluetooth headphones into one set with the new iPhone? Uh, They totally could. I just don't think that they're going to include those. I mean, you could maybe have too a, expensive. Yeah, you could maybe have Bluetooth and Lightning right in one little package. That would be nice if they wanted to sell some extra headphones. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I expect that this is probably what they'll do with Beats. Um, sure, is, you know, put a little Lightning port in the headphones so you can charge them from the phone, which would be really nice actually uh, to be able to do that. Like if yeah, because one of my one of my issues right now is. I have battery anxiety with my Bluetooth headphones. And if there was a way to plug my headphones into my iPhone, take a bit of battery from my iPhone and charge my headphones for another hour, that would be kind of sweet. I would like that. You know, like in the same way you charge the pencil. Mm. I would like that a lot, Jason. Yeah. I think these are I think these are good ideas, interesting ideas. Um so, but I agree with you that it seems unlikely that Apple would include a wireless head headset in the box. There'll be a, you know, cheaper pair of ear pods that'll be in the box with a, with some sort of wired connection, you know, presumably lightning if this happens. 
if we get Bluetooth headphones in the box, the iPhone price just went up. Right, like they've just put the price of the iPhone up. I'd be shocked. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not happening. Uh, Joe Steele wrote in, fake name, real person. Uh, did you guys mention Lightning removing the ability to charge and listen at the same time last week? I might have missed it. I think this is a good point. I don't know if we mentioned it except in passing, but this is one of the use cases that's problematic. If all you've got is a Lightning port, is people often will be listening to their phone while it's charged, and you would need to have uh, wireless headphones to do that in this scenario because if you've got Lightning plugged in you can't charge at the same time if if that's your method of charging and that that happens to me all the time like uh, when i'm in the car when i'm in my car i've got it paired to bluetooth but when i'm in the car that my wife drives it's paired to her phone and and it gets kind of messed up if it's also paired to my phone and i've just got an you know it's got an aux in plug and so i'll plug it in um, and then I'll also plug in the power when we're taking a long drive or something like that and and this would not be possible with this setup i would have to change how we do that and it is true it is an added complication the idea that if you have to plug um your audio device in via lightning but you also want to charge your your uh, phone there's only one lightning port yeah it's not not ideal yeah so we'll see what happens there um previously in the past we have spoken about podcasting and audio production tools uh, and I just wanted to draw attention to a couple that I know that you've been using recently, which are yeah. new and are quite cool, I guess, for people that are wanting to make podcasts and stuff like that. Um, Jason, would you like to talk about Chapters and Loopback? Sure. So Chapters is an app that I don't know. I don't think it's been approved by the Mac App Store yet. Yeah, we can um, assume it will be around in a week or so, but they have a website together now. But I, yeah, they've got a website and it's been submitted for approval and I've used a beta of it. And basically you point it at an MP3 file and you can put in time, time code markers and then save out and it saves out uh, the MP3 file with MP3 chapters embedded in it. And so if you're using a, a podcast app that supports chapters, MP3 chapters, your podcast will then have chapters. And uh, we talked about this. Uh, Overcast supports this now. Uh, but there are limited numbers of tools. I believe the ATP uh, chapter markers are being made by Marco using a tool he built for himself. But this is um, this is a public. Uh, Thomas Pritchard uh, wrote it. Uh, he sent me a bunch of betas of it as he was working on it. It is a publicly available tool. You, you know, you bring your own MP3, drop it in. Um, it reads the metadata that you've already got in there, which is kind of nice. So it's not like you've got to retag your MP3, and then you go through and say, you know, at eight minutes fifteen seconds, you know, here's the title, here's the link, and you build up a list, and then you save it out, and it saves the MP3 with the data in it, and then you upload that file. So if you're somebody who is a podcaster who wants to do chapters but has no way to do MP3 chapters, uh, look for Chapters, which is going to be in the Mac App Store, and I think it's going to be like twenty bucks or something. It's not, you know, he's going to charge for it, but Good. if you're a podcaster who wants to embed chapters uh it's probably worth it because i think there are no other mac tools that do that at this point not that i've seen uh thomas has sent me betas for this but i've yet to actually check it out um but it looks really good and it gets the jason snell stamp of approval so what more do you need yeah i mean there are other i i will say i have i have used other tools say so have i as have you that are not publicly available and may or may not ever be uh, so I, you know, I'm not just using Chapters app, but I have used Chapters app on a, a Clockwise and on an Incomparable, and uh, as far as I can tell, it works great. So um, it's nice to see a public 
tool for this because you know tools that are private or in beta don't help everybody else no so it may be great that i've got a chance to try some of those tools but it doesn't help anyone else and chapters app i can say it's you know apple assuming apple approves it'll be in the mac app store and if not then i'm sure he'll put it up on his own so one way or another you'll be able to get it soon so chaptersapp.com all right and then also loopback what is loopback Loopback is a new utility from our friends at Rogue Amoeba, makers of Audio Hijack. Um, when I, t- I talked to them a long time ago when they were beta, beta testing Audio Hijack, I, I uh, asked them about a few things. I said, can Audio Hijack do this? And it turns out this was definitely not a feature that they had planned for Audio Hijack, but they said that they had something else in the works that would probably do it. And Loopback is that tool. Basically, um, one of the things... It's, I've talked about this before. It's surprising to me how rudimentary some of the Mac uh, sound subsystems are. It actually makes it not surprising that sound is so poorly handled on iOS in terms of being able to record an input and, you know, record across multiple apps at once and all of that. Because even on the Mac, it's kind of rudimentary. Um, You can't natively in the Mac say, record the audio from this app or route the audio from this app to this other app. It's just, you can't. You need to you need to uh, add extra software to do that. And Audio Hijack is a good example of that. It'll do some routing and it'll also do recording. Um, Loopback is all about kind of routing audio from one device to another. What it does is if you plug any kind of recording device into your Mac or any output device into your Mac, like speakers, um, and you go to the sound preferences pane, you'll see in the output tab, you'll see all the output devices listed. And in the input tab, you'll see all the input devices listed. What Loopback does is it lets you create new devices in quotes uh, that are not real, but what they are is uh, sounds coming from different places mixed by loopback and then sent back out. So you can create, for example, a good example is Skype. When I was building the Macworld uh, podcast studio, uh, we had a mixer with four microphones on it, but Skype only ever takes track one from any audio device that you set as the microphone. Yeah, we so, really, really unfortunately found that out while trying to record connected at WWDC exactly. last year. Exactly, and Loopback would have solved your problem in 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 uh, one step. Uh, so so what Loopback you could do is you can create a new device, a new virtual device, and put all four of the the audio tracks the audio from the four tracks on your mixer onto track one of this virtual device. You, you literally just drag them over and drop them on one <laughs> and then save it and check the box. And now that's a new input. It's a new microphone you can use. You select it in Skype and now you're getting all four together. Um, and you could do lots of other things like you could plug in two USB microphones and create one microphone out of it that included the source for both. So you could record them simultaneously because one of the things that the Mac sound sus- subsystem doesn't do is uh, is let you kind of aggregate devices in a in a clean way. Um, and so you can do that with with loopback. Uh, some of this stuff you can kind of do through Audio Hijack, but there's also some stuff like Audio Hijack won't let you create a new virtual input. It'll let you route audio to existing places, but Loopback will let you create new uh, new uh, channels for audio, including things like saying, play GarageBand to Skype, 
which is not something that you know you could otherwise do. And Skype, you know, Skype picks up the input of what's coming out of GarageBand, and suddenly the sound is flowing across. So it's just it's a um, it's a Pro Tool. It's a I think they're an introductory sale for seventy five, but in the end it's going to be a hundred dollars. But again, if you are somebody who keeps having kind of crazy at, Mac- at Mackerel, what we ended up doing is running um, a, a line out, basically a headphone jack out of the back of the mixer. Um, and running it into the little audio in on the back of the old iMac that we were using. It's still using. I think they still do it this way. Um, and using that as the microphone for Skype. So Skype people were receiving this weird um, mixer audio that was coming out of the uh, one of the headphone jacks <laughs> and running through a, a, a 3.5 millimeter uh, uh, jack cable to that little mini jack input on the back of the iMac ridiculous but that was the only way we could get them to hear what we were saying so this would solve that problem because you could just aggregate everything together uh so yeah loopback it's cool it's a cool idea um it's you know it's not for everybody but uh you know you'll know it if you need it because you'll have that moment where you're like how do i do this and the only answer will be to get loopback or try something like soundflower which does similar things but that's a uh, an open source project that has been not developed very well over the years it's sort of on and off as many open source projects are and uh, i find its interface to be almost impenetrable so and once uh, you loop- install soundflower it is incredibly difficult to uninstall soundflower yes <laughs> yeah so <laughs> really, loopback is really much difficult. more much more straightforward and if you uncheck all the boxes if you're if you're like i wonder if loopback is slowing down my system or doing other things that i don't want to my sound you just uncheck the boxes in loopback of the virtual inputs and they go away and then they're gone so um yeah so definitely people should check it out if they are in need of a utility like that Oh, 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 there's one more bit of follow-up I wanted to do, which is um, I got something wrong last week. I said that I thought that Lightning currently could do analog audio out, and that's not true. I actually got that mixed up from the speculation on an episode of ATP that they thought that they could do, they could build analog audio out into Lightning, um, which they could do, but they haven't done. So it's possible that one thing that Apple could do would be to update Lightning so that one of the things that it could do was send out analog audio, thereby preventing you from needing uh, a, a DAC in the external audio device, a digital-to-analog converter. Um, although, as Marco pointed out to me privately, Marco Arment from uh, Podcasting's ATP, <laughs> the uh, DACs are cheap, so it probably wouldn't be a big deal for most devices to have their own DAC, although the one on the iPhone is pretty good, and so getting the analog signal out from the iPhone might be preferable to having whatever DAC would be in your external audio device. But anyway, that's, that's about speculation and not fact, and I stated it as fact, so I apologize. Um, you know, ATP is part of my reality, apparently. This week's episode is brought to you by Smile and PDF Pen. PDF Pen is your Swiss army knife for working with PDFs. With PDF Pen, you will have all of the basics covered, such as filling in and signing forms, making edits to PDFs, highlighting, and using OCR to detect text, which you can then use anywhere. Right? You can t- take that text and put it into other apps if you need to. You will be a PDF wizard with PDF Pen when you use redaction, word export, page numbering, and even Bates numbering. And with PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone, you'll be able to take control of PDFs no matter where you are. You can be able to completely master signing forms. You can very easily redact no matter where you want to be with their apps for iOS as well. If you're the type of person that enjoys living or the enjoys the idea of a paperless office, 
you're going to love PDF Pen. No more printing, scanning, and faxing. Just fill in and sign with PDF Pen and you will be on your way. PDF Pen is an indispensable tool for me. Uh, It's something that I use multiple times a week, signing contracts and stuff like that, which I have to do lots of. Uh, Without PDF Pen, I would be spending a fortune in ink and going crazy with scanners. So I love PDF Pen for what it allows me to do. And because I use a Wacom tablet... Uh, for my input in my Mac. I actually do really sign everything, which is awesome. (laughs) I like doing that. It still makes me feel very important when I'm signing things because I actually do apply my real signature every single time, which you can do with PDF Pen. Smile also has a bunch of great tutorials from the very talented Mr. David Sparks. These short videos will show you everything that you need to know about PDF Pen 7, and they're on Smile's website. You can learn all about PDF Pen at smilesoftware.com slash upgrade. PDF Pen 7 and PDF Pen Pro 7 require Yosemite and work beautifully on El Capitan and PDF Pen for iOS is available from the App Store. Thank you so much to Smile for their support of this show. You call it Wacom and not Wacom? I don't know anymore. My, I'm uh, losing my voice a little bit. I don't know if you'd notice that today, Jason. No. Yeah, it's just a little bit croaky. So that's no. all. It's, not, it's nothing, nothing to worry about. Uh, by you sound a, like a professional. Yeah, just as a uh, an aside to the listeners out there, if anybody has any good resources for vocal exercises, please send them to me. I would love hmm. to know. As the more well, I do this, Jason, I, the more worried I get uh, about losing my voice completely. And what would I do hmm. if that happened? It is true. This comes up at conferences sometimes. Um, it, I, I do have those moments where I realize if I'm planning to do a podcast the next day or something like that, like I kind of need to actually watch my voice, which is a little weird because what would the, what would be the impact of having a croaky voice the next day? But if you have to do podcasting or presentations of some sort, it matters. <laughs> it really does. It's weird. It's like suddenly we we've turned into uh, to singers. You know, I need my tea with lemon. Before I can go on, <laughs> me, I don't know me, how that me, happened. Me. Yeah, that's right. Crumb crisp coating. Jason, talking about good audio for podcasting and things like that, you have done something that would, in theory, ruin your audio. <laughs> yeah. Would you like to demonstrate what you have done? Uh, okay, sure. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a horribly clicky keyboard. I'm sure Jason would not be able to use during this show quietly. Uh, what have you bought? I'm very <laughs> intrigued about this. I don't know why I did it, but I've I was I've been intrigued by uh, going back to mechanical switch keyboards for a while now. I, I'm not... Um, I have not spent a lot of time exploring it. I used a, a Matthias uh, Tactile Pro for a little while. I have... Um, I mean, I used back in the day, and I do actually have an Apple extended keyboard, although the ADB USB adapters are not particularly reliable, and it's a little frustrating. Um, the classic kind of battleship. But the thing is, I like... Um, I, I So I always thought, maybe I should go back to a mechanical keyboard. I've talked about how I don't like key travel, like short key travel on this on the show, like the MacBook keyboard. And I thought, well, um, maybe someday I will explore that. And actually, Joshua Topolsky formerly of The Verge and Bloomberg, now doing mysterious startup things, uh, posted a, a, a tweet with a picture of, a, uh, of this keyboard. And it was this little keyboard, had no 10, no 10 key, no number pad. It was this super tiny keyboard. It didn't even have a function key row. And it had like uh, kind of different colored keys on it. And I, I, I looked at it and I was like, ooh, <laughs> ooh. I, I was surprised 
to find myself uh, really kind of intrigued by that. And I asked him what it was. And uh, I spent, you know, three months, basically four months not buying it, but just sort of thinking about it. And I looked at some other um, mechanical keyboards. Uh, Matthias makes a, a mini keyboard in a couple of different versions because I didn't I um I do all my pointing with my with my uh trackpad on my the right side of my keyboard and I don't need a number pad I don't want a number pad and all the number pad does is push the trackpad further away from me so I, I wanted um I want something that is apparently we learned called uh 10 keyless <laughs> okay that's a keyboard term and uh and I looked at Matthias's Mini Tactile Pro and Mini Quiet Pro, which are both 10 keyless keyboards. They're they're bigger. They've got a bigger bezel, and they've got a, a function key row at the top. And um, and it's funny because they make a a quiet one that is only in a PC layout, and then the loud one they make only in a Mac layout. Interesting quiet choice. Is a uh, is an interesting word to use because it's not quiet. It's not. It, it well, it's much noise. quieter than yeah. their normal keyboards. Yeah. It should be the quieter rather than yeah. the quiet. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So I thought about those, and I might yet get one of those. I don't know. But what I did was I actually got the same, basically the same one that Joshua Topolsky had, which was a Leopold FC660M. This is a um, Korean... I think it's a Korean... Well, it's made in Taiwan... Uh, I, I don't know whether the company is Korean or Chinese. I got it from somebody in uh, in uh, Korea on eBay because that seems to be the best place to get them is you buy them on eBay from somebody in Korea and then they come to you. It's weird. Um, and I've been using it for the last week and it's uh, it's interesting. I, I, I bought some custom keycaps because it comes with a Windows keyboard layout. So I actually, I had to change the, you know, there's a set system setting that you can set per keyboard, which is pretty cool in OS X. It didn't used to be that way, to flip the uh, command and option keys to be the other way around, which you need to do for a Windows keyboard. Um, I bought some custom keycaps, so I replaced the uh, alt keys with actual uh, keys that say command on them. Um, I still have a Windows key that's my option key. I need to get a blank key at the very least and uh, and replace that so that I don't have to stare at the Windows logo because why? Why would I want to do that? I do all the time. I have uh, <gasps> one of those Microsoft Sculpt ergonomic keyboards yeah. and I have to look at the Windows logo. You could do, but if I if I can get away to not do that, then I will choose that. Um, so I, I bought some custom key, key caps for it and it's just been kind of fun. I... I um, what I've what I've learned is that I really love it for when I'm in the zone writing, just typing away a lot. It really is great. It is you know you feel every key click, you can hear it. Uh, you're 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 writing up a storm. You get some almost like it feels almost like momentum or like you're 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 you're. It's like horses galloping. It's just click, click, click. You just you're going. That's great. When I'm doing something like editing up, editing a podcast, or just kind of clicking around and and looking at Twitter and looking at Skype and doing occasional key clicks that are like clunk, clunk, clunk. It seems kind of ridiculous. Like it's overkill for that. It's too much. I don't need feedback for those sorts of things. Perhaps one day some geniuses will create a, a keyboard that is entirely artificial, like the uh, like the Magic Trackpad Two, and you can set your um, your your uh, sound and uh, and tactile uh, levels per operation. Perhaps in the a, a wonderful future we'll get there. But as it is, that's that's my thought is that 
I kind of like it. I kind of love it for writing. Um, but when I'm just kind of mousing around and then doing keyboard shortcuts, it seems like really overkill. That said, since I've been using it, I went back. So I've got I kept, I kept my little Logitech uh, Bluetooth keyboard for uh, for podcasting because I do need a quiet keyboard while I'm podcasting, which is dumb. But that is part of this story. And I started typing on it and I thought, ooh, <laughs> like suddenly I feel much uh, less charitable toward that keyboard and I see what the mechanical keyboard people see in in them and have against the kind of mushy keyboards because while I've been really used to the MacBook style not not the new MacBook but the kind of MacBook Air MacBook Pro style which is also in a lot of these Bluetooth keyboards all of a sudden they I, I can see that they they feel kind of weird and mushy um, compared to the the mechanical ones I understand the idea of the the sound and how it makes you feel like if I ever I mean a lot of the, basically all of the writing of any kind that I do these days is occurring on my iPad Pro as many things are and that yeah. makes a noise oh that's true that the smart keyboard right like it's a it's yeah. a, it's not as I don't think it's a satisfying a sound but it makes a noise and it when does. I'm typing on it like I kind of like that sound like the mm-hmm. Noise that yeah, it just makes. A, just a little bit of uh, yeah. I mean, this is all about degrees here. I did actually attach this to my iPad Pro using a USB adapter because it's a USB keyboard, it's not a Bluetooth keyboard, and uh, that was hilarious and weird mm-hmm. to be have this like b- this clicky keyboard on a, attached to a Mac uh, to an iPad Pro. It was that was kind of maybe a bridge too far, uh, but it, it worked. Totally worked. So there you go. For all you people yeah. that like super clicky keyboards, Jason has Yeah, you has can got check it covered. out. I'll let you know what I think about it in the long run. Um like I said, I'm feeling good about it as a writing as a writing tool. Um it it is kind of ridiculous cuz it is loud and uh you know, it's very old school. I I also just love I love how it looks. I love how small it is. It's just this tiny um tiny thing. It's got almost no bezel. It's got no function key row. Um and I used I downloaded actually Keyboard Maestro, which I used back like when it was a f- the first, I think before Peter Lewis bought it, way back when, and um, and that's actually a really great utility that I've I've known was really great, but I've never used personally in since very very early versions, and that's been great because it can do some mapping of keys to different things that I need on this keyboard because it's not quite the keyboard I'm used to, like the the uh, the tilde and uh, single tick key that's usually in the upper left-hand corner isn't on this keyboard. It's an, That's where the escape key goes. So I needed to map that key, like command that key to the command <laughs> tilde that you do to cycle through Windows. So little stuff like that, along with some more complicated stuff that I've been playing with. So it's been fun to, to use uh, Keyboard Maestro a little bit too, which I haven't, haven't had uh, reason to try for a while. There you go. Beautiful. Um, just after last week's episode, uh, Apple yes. <laughs> dropped something upon us. <laughs> Almost during the episode. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and it's the iOS 9.3 preview. So at this point, uh, there's probably not much use in us going through what the 9.3 right. preview includes. Well, um, there's a... There's a um... And I think this is the most interesting part of the story. There's a page on Apple's website that details what is in iOS 9.3. Yeah, which makes it different from being just a beta, right? It is a preview Mm -hmm. in that Apple is previewing it to the world, which is a a new thing. Is this the first time they've ever done this, like for a point release? I feel like maybe yes. 
I think outside of WWDC announcements, it's the first time that Apple has done a marketing push for the initial developer release of an OS update. Um, and I think it's really smart. They talked about this a bit on ATP last week, so it's worth people uh, listening to that too. I agreed with their thoughts about it there. I think um, I think it's smart of Apple because what is what happens is inevitable. They uh, they release it just to developers. It's a beta. It's under NDA, and then within a couple of hours, all the rumor sites, all the other news sites that cover developer betas, have detailed everything that's in the betas. And speculated about things that are, you know, the next day it's speculated about things that are suggested in the betas, and it goes on and on. So if you're Apple, why wouldn't you own that? If you know that people are going to cover it, why wouldn't you own that? You're allowing um, the people who are reporting on developer betas to control the story of your, um, not your major update that comes at WWDC, but your minor updates that come other times that might have a few features in them. And if you're proud of those features, why would you not make, it's not like they did a huge press blitz but they did post a page saying here's what's coming in ios 9.3 here are these features and they'll be coming soon and it's very clear that the reason you do that is because they know people are going to write about it as soon as it goes into beta so they might as well get on top of it and tell their own story and uh, that's smart marketing that's smart pr so that's what they did and i think i think it's really smart but i i feel like that is a new thing that 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 is to just jump out there uh, like that that's a new thing and smart do you think this signifies anything I mean, Dan. So Dan and I talked about it on on uh, on Clockwise, I think, and uh, and uh, the and the Six Color Subscriber Secret Subscriber Podcast too. But uh, then Dan wrote a story about it on MacWorld, and you know there was some interesting response to that because like Mark Gurman was like, "Oh, this isn't new. They have they've had notable dot releases before." But I think I think what's notable is that this is new features that haven't been promised before. Um that are being rolled into this version of the OS instead of iOS version 10. And I think that that might be different than we've seen before. It might not be. I saw a lot of people who are involved in education saying the problem with iOS 10 is that the education cycle happens earlier than that in terms of planning for education for the for the, the school year, and that if they've got something that is announced in summer and ships in the fall, it's too late for education. Yeah. So taking the education feature of uh, user logins, which is something that's one of the banner features that's going to be in this 9.3 update, and, and pulling it forward maybe is more about timing and and doing some education updates earlier rather than waiting all the way until fall uh, because they've got a quite quite a battle with uh, Chromebooks in in schools. So I think that I think that might be part of it. Um, what my speculation was, and I think Dan's speculation is, I wonder if this is also a hint that Apple's going to be a little less monolithic with the iOS updates and roll roll some features out throughout the year, um, including new features, not just features that are promised but not yet delivered or attached to new hardware. Yeah. Because none of these things are attached to new hardware, nor were they promised. Not not the new uh, version of you know basically Flux uh, that it, that will get rid of the blue light. On your uh, on your device screen at night, uh, not the uh, user login. These are things that are not um, not things that we had heard about before, and now here they are, or they're they're in the betas and they're coming. Yeah, um, you know, so there's slight precedent, right? In the in the last year, eighteen months, there have been updates to the devices that are relatively large things that have come with point releases, right? So mm-hmm. Apple Pay uh, internationally, um, that, Apple and that's Music why they weren't stuff like that. 
that's why they weren't the minor releases. That's why they got the whole point. Yeah, right? exactly. So there's been there's been more of that happening. But yeah, what makes this one different is that we didn't know about any of this stuff. Right. Until the beta came, which that's the new part of this, right? Is that it is mm-hmm. un, unannounced. So what do you think this says for WWDC? Do you have any oh. kind of feeling about whether we're going to get 9.5 or are we going to get 10? If you're reading the tea leaves, what would you say is going to happen here? My gut feeling is that is that we'll get 10 because that's how Apple has done it every single time before. So why not? But... You know, this made me at least stop and think, what would it be like if what they did was announce iOS 9.5 and said, actually, what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to do 9.5 now and we're going to release it you know, soon. And then in the fall, you'll see 9.6. And then in the spring, you'll see 9.7. And that we're going to we're going to do some some uh, individual releases over time. We've got everything worked out now. We've got, um, we can push updates to everybody automatically. We can push updates to developers automatically. We can push them to the beta testers automatically, and then we can push them to the users automatically. We don't need to be in this monolithic cycle where we're changing everything once a year. We can, we can break it down a little further. They could totally do that. And I think that's interesting. Will they do that? I don't know. I mean, it, it seems more likely that they won't because that would require them to to change their ways. But I'm kind of interested by it, uh, just just because uh, I wonder sometimes if that would be a better way to roll out features and make the process for developers and users a little smoother. Just to sort of spread out the OS development over the course of um, over over the course of many months. They could also do iOS 10 and still have uh, sort of more. Um, impressive updates in the interim before the next year at WWDC. They could still use WWDC as the stake in the ground where they make some bigger changes, but also, you know, not have it be that if a feature doesn't get in, it's it has to wait a year, which is sort of what it's been like for most features up to now. I don't know. What do you think? I think that we may see WWDC as the starting point of this occurring from mm-hmm. iOS 10 onward. Um, and that they are putting 9.3 out now as an example, like trying to set the stage. Uh, So basically from 10, we may see a change. I actually do think that at 10, and I'm just going to throw this out there, I I think that there will be a change in the naming convention for iOS. Mm. Um, At a certain point, the numbers get too high, uh, and 10 feels like a better time to change that than 20. Mm-hmm. because why would you change it at any other point? So, like, if you're going to change it, you may as well go for it now. Uh, I wonder if they're, you know, like, uh, they probably will give it the numeral 10 if they're going to give it anything, but I think we may see some kind of change. Because, like, for example, Google, from a branding perspective, um, they're able to, to put out smaller updates to the OS, but give it a brand new name, because they right. just go over letter every time, and they give it, you know, a, a candy name. Um, but Marshmallow was a smaller... Um, update than than kit kat and uh whatever l was i can't remember it was actually a smaller lollipop lollipop that's it but it still had the branding of a full number so i Mm -hmm. think we may see apple go that route you know as they have shown us that they can do and do with os 10 and i think i think we might i personally think we're going to see something there but i also believe that 
we're going to see a change in the way that OS's, OS updates are pushed out. And I think that they will be more staggered, uh, more staged, which I assume internally for Apple will mean that things can maybe stay in the oven a little bit longer, mm-hmm. uh, which would benefit everybody. And so I do really hope that this is the case. And because there will be a marketing risk for not doing big number releases at WWDC every year, I hope that they're able to to do some marketing magic uh, to make it look better than than it is, and, and I personally, I think that giving them names rather than numbers will help that. So, I think I think those are good points. I do think it's possible. I I think this is one of those things that I mean, who can tell for sure? Being on the outside, but it would seem to me that going to a cycle like this might might be better in terms of. The features that are ready get in, and the features that aren't ready can go next time. And and just my gut feeling is, and again, it's just a gut gut feel, so it could be wrong, but is that changing everything once a year in one monolithic update and then doing bug fixes for a year seems like that would be more dramatic and fraught than changing you know, having a bigger change once a year and then a bunch of smaller changes at a few, you know, or you know, not a bunch, but like three more smaller changes, let's say quarterly updates or, or three three updates a year. It just seems like that would be more sensible and comfortable for everybody. It means developers don't have to invest all their time all summer long on adopting all the new features of, an, of the OS. Uh, Apple... So the arguments against this are, there are a few of them. You mentioned one, which is marketing. Um, there's also the argument about uh, WWDC's value being you roll out all the new platforms there and then the developers get them. Uh, taking the second one first, I think what we saw with the Apple Watch development, which although it didn't, you know, it didn't go well because there were issues with the platform not being very strong, they were able to roll out the Apple, Wa- Apple Watch SDK and all of that, and developers got that, and they didn't need to be at WWDC. And most developers aren't at WWDC, right? So Yeah, but I don't... I don't think that the marketing thing is an issue to how you market to developers it's how you market to the general public let, let me take these separately so so the developer issue i think is not an issue i think i think the fear that well if you don't introduce all your new features at wwdc the developers you aren't communicating well with the developers it's already been shown apple has lots of other means to communicate with developers they've done a good job with it i don't think that's the problem marketing is the is the issue and i would i would dispute what you said i am not sure that apple needs marketing about an OS update. And I'm really not sure that they need marketing about an OS update three months before it happens. So the marketing issue, I don't think is what anybody needs or what people think they need. The problem now is if Apple do not do a full number release at WWDC, there will be stories written in the general press about how Apple is slowing down, Apple's failing. That's the problem that they're in, right? Because then these things, they leak into the minds of the general public. Yeah. I think that's where I, that's the only reason that I think that this problem exists. Uh, and it's not necessarily an accurate one, but that's not, that's not the point. That's not the thing to worry about, right? It's how, it's how things are perceived, which is the issue. I so I see what you're saying. Um, if I'm if I'm Apple, I would if I'm at Apple, I would advocate for the fact that um, and this is a family podcast, so I won't use the phrase that I would probably use in the meeting, which is I don't think th- those kind of criticisms are, matter. I think that's chattering. I think that's inside baseball stuff. I think that the most important part in terms of marketing their products is when the new products, the new hardware comes out. And I think it would be much better to have these key features 
uh, highlighted when you roll out the new iPhone every year, which people really pay attention to, than this event that's super technical and it's a it's it's geared toward developers but there's this little pr angle that's in it too where you're talking about a new version of software that's got some very particular features and isn't going to ship for three months it it is something that's a big deal for our audience and that maybe yeah the the financial analysts who are always writing about how apple is doomed you know they may they may behave even worse if it's taken away from them but i think for the general public it's it's the worst event apple does every year because it's not tangible usually there usually isn't a product that comes out of it and os updates are kind of you know they're they're very much this intangible thing it's like oh there's going to be a feature well do i get it now no you don't get it until september or october oh well why do i care so i i could totally see apple saying we're going to take a step back and not make as big a deal about OS betas at WWDC and instead build our, um, you know, extol the virtues of our hardware and the software features that come with them when we launch the the hardware. I think I think that argument can be made. I understand I your argument, and I think I think that it's true. Uh, it would be that would be the downside of of abandoning the you know huge monolithic software release but as you said you could also market the small release and mm-hmm. say you know this is this is the year of of el capitan this is the year of you know the mountain lion or whatever back in the day and you'll you'll see some you know stuff across the across the year instead of it all being dropped in a load over the summertime and shipped in september yeah, like i completely agree with you and i take the view that it is possible to manage this and put a good spin on it but the way that I look at it, that that is a risk, though, still, right? Because you can assume everything, but you never know how people are going to react. And, and I personally believe that it is that risk, that we're not sure factor, which is what is or what could be potentially holding them up internally from making a change like this. Um, but I think that it is more than possible for Apple to deal with this and put it in those terms. Uh, but I think that it's, it's it's something worth watching, and I do think it's going to happen post ten. Uh, but it will be right. interesting to see what they do at number ten. It's um, actually logical, in fact. It's, you you could make the argument that ten is a great place, and you 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 alluded to this earlier. Ten is a great place to say we've reached a milestone. Here's how we're going to handle this going forward. Even if the analysts look back and go, oh, you know, nine three was kind of a a hint in this direction um, that maybe that that would be something that they would do. I don't know. I mean, we're we're just guessing here, but but I think you're right in saying if you're going to change the way that you handle operating system stuff, then um, then doing it on a number on, on a big number like ten is a is not a bad way to do it. I I also again I wouldn't put. I think there's a percentage chance that they they just uh, punt about dealing with the number ten for a year and say we're going to do nine point five. And it's going to be awesome, and it's going to have all these features, and you know, and then we'll do you know we'll do some other updates over the course of the year, and not and just not call it ten. Um, that, that, I think that that still could happen, although you know I, I think it's less likely. I think the most likely thing is to expect what we've seen, which is new number. Well, one of the things that seems strange to me about about this is why did they put a new user feature, an unrequested user feature like Night Shift in 9.3 and not hold it over for 10? Good question. I can't work. I can't wrap my head around that one. Um, Like the education stuff, throw it in 9.3. 
um, you know, bug fixes and changes and some of the other stuff that they've done in 9.3, that's fine because that fits with a point release, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, here's a bunch of stuff. Uh, it's, you know, things that we're putting in, little bits and bobs, and here you go, take that. And, oh, if you're in education, this is what you get for 9.3. This is really great. But Night, night Shift is something that's cool. I like it a lot. Um, there'd been a bit of hubbub about Flux, but that was nowhere even near like a, a mass market amongst tech nerds, right? Like, yeah. th- this is not something that everybody uses and or wanted. Uh, additions to notes, news, and health would have, and CarPlay would have been enough for 9.3 from a, from sure. a user focus. I'm really perplexed about what putting something like Night Shift into iOS 9.3 means for WWDC. So I've got a theory. My theory about why they did it is that there was this very minor in our community hubbub about Flux. Um, and and somebody, my theory is that, and this is based on no information, uh, is that somebody at Apple said, well, why don't we do that? And maybe even some engineer said, well, actually, <laughs> we, we did do that. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's not implemented all the way yet, but we're working on that, and that's on the roadmap. And... And you know maybe they're saying, well, let's let's put it in nine three. Why we can if it's if it's close and 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 you think it's fairly simply done, maybe we should just put it into nine three rather than holding it for the fall again. Um, or maybe there's an attitude like, well, we want these ups, uh, these um these feature updates to be a little more substantive than they've been in the past, and that's a pretty good feature to pull forward. It's fairly simple. We've been, you know we could implement that fairly quickly. Maybe we're already working on it. Let's let's pull that forward. My my guess is that. That it may have been pulled forward because it became part of the conversation a little bit, and Apple thought that there was some maybe even good PR to be done by saying, "Look how great we are in, uh, you know, making our mobile devices gentler on your eyes," and that's a little a, a nice little feature. So I, I've got some; those are my kind of theories about it. Is that is that you know, it, it's some combination of those things. It's a fairly small feature. It was probably already being discussed, and it would be something that could be slipped into uh, a small version like this rather than, you know, waiting to roll it out to everybody in September. Yeah, I mean, I can I can totally see that. The thing that I just find so strange about it is iOS 9 um, was not a big release, uh, really. Like, there actually wasn't a ton in it. There was lots for the iPad, but that was kind of it. And I wonder what the next version will will bring, uh, because I'm 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 interested to see: are we going to get a lot again, or is it going to be not so much? And if it's not so right. much, then why did they put a user feature in now? <laughs> you know, night shift night shift also is funny because it is really simple. Like yeah, it's but a, it's, it's a, a nice switch. little thing, right? And it's just it, a, yeah, but, it's a but, thing you can see. It's a thing you can demonstrate. But what what interests me about it is that it's super simple, and 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 I look at it and I immediately think like you could tie this to Do Not Disturb, you could put it on Mission Control, um, or is that what it's called? Uh, control What's, Center. Control Center, the thing you flip up from the bottom. You could mm-hmm. put a button there to toggle it on and off. None of that was done, right? It's just it's kind of off in the display settings, and it's there, and you can turn it on if you want to. So it's not like it couldn't. It could be a lot more integrated into the system than it is. So for for nine three, it looks like unless they add features, it seems you know it seems most likely that it, for nine three, it's going to be this super simple feature. Like it's there if you want it, and maybe it gets more integrated into the system down the road. So that's kind of interesting too that it does it does seem to be a very simple 
implementation to get it in the system. Um, driven now, people will say, well, why not? Why not just let Flux into the App Store or let Flux distribute it? I think I think this goes to the core of the OS is that there's stuff that Flux does as an app that is just that Apple just cannot allow an app to do. That there's no public API for controlling this stuff and they don't like the way that Flux... I mean, Flux is acting on the entire display whether it's running or not, basically. It's pretty invasive and I'm pretty sure that the engineers at Apple said, we cannot allow that app in. It does too much, but this is the sort of thing that needs to be tackled by the system. This is a system feature. You know, Not only should it be a system feature, but it needs to be a system feature rather than being done by a third-party app. And I... I I strongly agree with that, that this this is something Flux exists because the OSs haven't cared about this, not because it should be a third party app that does it. So I don't know. It, it, it's interesting. We're reading the tea leaves again, but it does seem like Apple's, you know, Apple's trying some different stuff. And, the, and the, that Web page is the best example of it, because that is them getting out in front of the story and saying this is an update that's coming, You're, you know basically stealing the thunder of the sites that got to make some hay reporting on the details of the first developer beta. Yeah, I mean, the reason we we read the tea leaves on this stuff is because Apple do things a very specific way pretty much all of the time. So when they do something different, it is like a pause for thought, right? You're like, huh, what are you doing here? This is a new Sit up one. and pay attention. Yeah, exactly. yeah, and and they've been doing that a lot lately. This is, this is uh, Apple was very understandable for a, a long time. They went in cycles. They had the rules. You could see what the rule book is, and there is definitely a culture at Apple today that is questioning some of the rules. And why do we have to do it the way that it's always been? And some of that is is Tim Cook instead of Steve. Some of that is Katie Cotton, the head of communications, leaving. Um, there, there are new people in positions of authority, and I think they're questioning some of the old assumptions. And I, this one, I, I have to say, no matter what it means for Apple's long-term software development, I think this was such a good idea to get out in front of it. If you're Apple, why are you letting 9to5Mac and Mac Rumors write stories introducing new features that are coming to your operating system? Why? Why are you doing that? It's, we don't live in a world where developer betas are a secret. They're not. You know they're not a secret. So why pretend that they don't exist until... I I know it would be better if you could just deliver the features on the day of and communicate them, but you can't. So get out in front of it. Take control of your own story. And I think it's great that they did. It's super smart. Should have done a long time ago, but um, you know what? They did it. And uh, I think think it's a a really smart move for them. Is there anything else in 9.3 you wanted to talk about? I wanted to ask you, Hmm. I've gotten reports that people who use the Apple Pencil are very unhappy with the first developer beta of 9.3. Have you tried it with your Apple Pencil? Sure have. And and I wrote a little thing um, on my my Tumblr blog, um, just voicing my frustrations. And I I want to make this very clear uh, because I just do. I fully understand that this is a beta. I fully understand that there could be bugs. Um, I get all of this that. This could be a bug. This could be a bug. This could be a change in direction. Uh, whatever it is, it's different. So now the Apple Pencil uh, on 9.3 uh, no longer is able to scroll UI lists and interact with the UI as a replacement for a finger. Mm. It only works to draw and write. 
Now, this is a big change in the way that this is working. Of course, it is potential for a bug, but because this is so uh, disruptive to me, I wanted to talk about it and bring it up just to kind of voice my concern uh, that if this is a change in the way that the Apple Pencil interacts with the iPad, I think Apple is making a big mistake because currently in 9.3, There is nothing to suggest any change to the Apple Pencil to make it, to to give it any extra benefit. There is nothing that removing this function is allowing me to do. That may be Apple's plan, but as I say, all I can do is say what I'm seeing. And what I'm seeing is now it has been decided that they don't want people to be scrolling UI and using their uh, iPads as pen input devices. Um, so that that is a concern to me if that is the way it's going to be going forward because I don't know why they would stop that other right. than a, you mustn't use our device in this way. <sighs> and that is a concern for me. It seems like a bad user experience in the sense that you have to mode shift. You have to you have to like take the pencil out of your hands and do things and then put the pencil back in your hands. Yeah. Where where oftentimes you're just switching. You're going, I'm gonna tap this and scroll this and then I'm gonna draw. Um I have I have two theories. One is that this is a bug. Okay, three theories. One is it's just a bug. One is what they're trying to do is give developers uh the opportunity to decide whether they want to ignore pencil input for things that are not drawing. And that this is the kind of emergence of that, and then it'll get fixed. And the the third theory would be that it's going to be a setting that allows the system to determine whether you want to lock out UI interactions for pencil and only use it for drawing. Because I can see where some people might say, "God, the pencil drives me crazy. I'm not. I'm just trying to draw with it. Why does it keep trying to do these UI things?" So I don't know whether that's true or not, but I could see how that might be. So that, those are my theories: is that this is, you know, that this is not Apple saying, "No, you'll never use your pencil as this," but that more likely it's either a bug or they're trying to do something that gives either the system or the developer developers a little more control over whether that uh, non-drawing input can be ignored or not. Yeah, I would, I would hope that either of those is true, uh, as opposed to just no. Because that, that's my thing, right? Like, if there's a benefit, if there is some reason that this is being stopped, then that would be great. But that definitely isn't the case right now. Um, I would even call for Apple to put a, a toggle for this accessibility. Uh, because yeah. I think that there is a, a good use case for accessibility here as well. Yeah, it I definitely agree. is for me because uh, for RSI and things like that, it is way more comfortable for me to use the pen input. That is my gut feeling. Is is this is you know a side effect of them trying to do something different, and that in future betas we'll see it. But yeah. you're right. If this was if this was in the final product, you would be you know you would be right to scream bloody murder about mm-hmm. it. But you know it's a beta, so on one level we want to disclaim it. On another level, we want to kind of draw attention to it in case um, this is happening in Apple. People at Apple don't know. <laughs> you filed a radar, right? Uh, I didn't file a radar, but somebody else filed a radar. Somebody. I sent feedback through the feedback app. Okay. that comes on the device, which I All believe channels. goes into radar. Uh, yeah, I think so. But, I, you know, I, I yeah. got a lot of that. People telling me, you should file the radar for people that hadn't actually read what I'd written uh, yes. in the post, which I specifically said I put a, a 
the radar number that somebody else had filed and sent to me. Very nice. Um, and then I filed my own feedback. So yeah, look, I understand how this stuff works, right? But I wanted to bring it up because I also understand how that stuff works as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That sometimes yeah. you have to kind of make a little bit of noise for people to understand what the issues are. Uh, it's very interesting. So I'm, I'm going to wait and see on that one. It is a shame. Um, I'm, some people said to me to roll back, right? That, oh, you should roll back to 9.2 if this is a big problem for you. But I don't want to do that because if it's going to go away, I need to start getting used to it at some point. <laughs> so yeah. maybe that time will be now. And plus, rolling back is a nightmare. All right, let's uh, move on to Ask Upgrade. This week's episode and this section of Ask Upgrade is brought to you by Squarespace. You can start building your own website today at squarespace.com and you want to use the offer code UPGRADE at checkout. That will get you 10% off Squarespace. Build it beautiful. Squarespace can help you build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of your skill level with no coding required. They have intuitive and easy-to-use tools that make building a website a dream and you'll be able to create something that looks and feels exactly the way that you want. Squarespace has state-of-the-art technology that they use to power all of their sites and to give that power to the millions of people that use Squarespace. Squarespace also ensures security and stability, which is something that's so important. And talking about stability and peace of mind and that kind of stuff, they back everything up with their 24-7 support. They have support teams across the world and they have live chat and email, so you'll be able to get the answers that you need to the questions that you have if you ever have them. It's just a great thing to know that it's there if you ever need it. Their site templates are all fantastic to look at. They feature responsive design, so they'll make sure that your site looks great on all sizes of device. I'm a big fan of Squarespace's commerce platform. This allows anybody to add a store to their Squarespace site. We use that at Relay FM to sell stickers and t-shirts at our official store, which you can go, to, which you can get to by going to relay.fm slash store. We use Squarespace for that. They have great integrations that we can plug in. So for example, we have uh, integration with Stripe, so we can actually take payments. Uh, I love all of that stuff. I think that it's fantastic that Squarespace do all of that because it makes it just like a great one-stop shop for people that want to be able to build a fantastic website. If you sign up for a year, you'll also get a free domain name allowing you to choose exactly what you want your site to be called. Squarespace plans start at just $8 a month and you can sign up for a free trial today with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com and then when you decide to sign up for a plan, make sure that you use the offer code UPGRADE. Not only will you be showing your support for this show, you'll get 10% off your first purchase as well. So if you get one of their annual plans, you'll get a great discount. Thanks so much to Squarespace for their support of this show and Relay FM. Squarespace, beautiful, beautiful. All right, so uh, ask upgrade, Jason. It is time. Uh, John would like to know which Apple TV model did you purchase, and how much space do you have left? So I went with the thirty-two gigabytes. I have no idea how much space I have left. I know it will be a lot because I don't install a lot of stuff on it. I have the same answer as you. I bought the I bought the cheapest Apple TV for, and I don't know how much space I have left, and I kind of don't care. Because that's not how I use it. I, I don't want to manage the space on it, and it hasn't been a problem up to now. But I don't have a lot of stuff on it. I have, you know, 10 apps or something like that. Yeah, so it's it's not an Sorry, issue. Sorry, John. Uh, yeah, we just, we just kind of are not paying attention to it and trying not to care. I don't put anything on it, right? So I can't yeah. imagine it's ever going to be an issue. Well, yeah. he says, there could be things, but the way that TVOS is built right now, like I'm not going to be downloading catalogs of video 
and games, right? It's all built to right. not really do that. So. Well, video doesn't even get stored. It would be exactly. it would be the app. It would be the app data. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, haven't haven't noticed anything there. Nope, not me. I don't spend a lot of time playing Apple TV games. I mean, mostly I'm using the Apple TV for uh, purchased stuff, uh, iTunes purchase stuff, and Plex. That's mostly what I'm using it for right now. I didn't know you were a Plex user. Yeah, you know, I've got uh, so. Yeah, I mean it's Casey's fault, but um, I can I actually have it on a on a server that is also running iTunes, and those files are, I you know I can add them to iTunes and they show up there. But the nice thing is if they're not in an iTunes compatible format, they still show up in Plex, and it sort of saves a step if you have a file that you just drop on there. You don't have to get it in the right format and add it to iTunes. Plex just sort of sees it and updates its library. So um, it's. Uh, I'm tr- sort of shifting to that just because I was doing a lot of effort to get things in an iTunes format for watching on my TV on an Apple TV, and now I don't have to because Apple TV runs the Plex app, and that works. Okay, next up we have Brian. Have you tried Cloud Magic email for Mac yet? If so, what do you think of it? I put this in because I've had a lot of people ask me. Uh, Cloud Magic is an iOS app that has recently made its debut on Mac. Um, I haven't tried it. Um, I actually have never tried Cloud Magic. One of and it sounds so stupid. I hate that brand name. Um, yeah. I just don't like it. Like the and and their whole branding doesn't really excite me very much. Uh, so I've not tried Cloud Magic, and I know that it's like don't judge a book by its cover type scenario, but the reason brands exist is because people do judge books by their cover. Um, but more more than anything, really, like the reason that I haven't tried it out now is I'm really happy with Outlook um, on iOS, and these days I am doing about 95% of my email on iOS. So I haven't felt the desire to make any change. Um, I didn't want to. I wasn't really that interested in Cloud Magic for iOS, so I'm not going to switch over for Mac. I'm using AirMail on my Mac. Um, and that's doing a pretty good job of what I need it to do uh, whenever I am at my Mac doing email. But the majority of the time, I am using uh, Outlook on iOS, on my uh, iPhone, on my iPad as my predominant uh, email app. Uh, same for me. I haven't tried it. Um, the Mac version looks very much like a Gmail interface. Maybe I should try it only because I'm using Mailplane, which is a Mac wrapper around Gmail and that's what I use on the Mac. And then on iOS, I am also using Outlook right now. Uh, but, you know, it, it's something that I, I, every so often I will get in a phase where I will have a bunch of email clients and I will try them all out and uh, and then use one for a while. I'm in the cruise phase with uh, Outlook right now where that's what I'm using. But at some point I will look around again and uh, I'll check it out. But uh, right now I, uh, I haven't. Not, it's not time. Nicholas would like to know uh, what our favorite condiments are. Um, I like ketchup a lot. Uh, and if it would count, maybe maple syrup. Hmm. Depending on what I'm eating. It's very rare, except for bacon, uh, that I would use those condiments on the same thing. I don't use them at the same time, but bacon yeah. I have with ketchup and with maple syrup, depending on what is surrounding the bacon. I don't feel like maple, maple syrup is a, is a condiment. Yeah, that's maybe why that's... I wasn't sure about that one. But, but maybe you could you could argue it, and we could start condiment or not. I don't want to do that. A limited series <laughs> podcast, um, and I would I would actually agree with you. Ketchup is my favorite condiment, it, it, without a doubt. Ketchup ketchup makes almost everything better. 
It goes with so many things. I know you get a little, uh, you get a little tomato savory. You get some vinegar uh, action going in there, a little sweet on top of it. It's great. Perfect. Uh, there are many great condiments. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but all I the think great condiments. Ketchup is the king of condiments. And um, Richard would like to know. This is a, a meta question. Uh, I quite like this. How many questions on average do you get for Ask Upgrade on a weekly basis? Um, I would say that we get probably about 30 questions a week, maybe. I feel like that's a good number, maybe between like 20 and 30. Um, but the participants vary quite a lot. It's it's not always the same people, which I do really like. Um, and always, you know, don't forget if you ever have questions and even follow up for the show, you can just tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade and, and we get them. Um, and as Jason pointed out in our document here, uh, in the last two weeks, we've been getting way more muffin related things on the ask upgrade hashtag than usual questions yeah i think i think we got uh fewer questions and comments than usual because everybody was uh really focused on muffin gate mm -hmm. and uh, also nicholas i see what you're doing here you're trying to create a condiment vertical and you may have succeeded we'll have to see but i, uh, I, I see i see that. the game you're playing oh yeah you gotta think two moves ahead with these uh, upgrade listeners they're mm. they're they're smart they're smart devious upgradians i know Yesterday evening, uh, I can't remember how this this came up, but um, I think Adina said something about oh, upgradians happen only once a year, and I was like, no, no, darling, the upgradies happen once a year. Upgradians are our listeners, and it just mm. made me realize just how complicated over time uh, the it naming is. conventions have become. But how dearly I love them. Yes, yeah, we're, we're we are we are the secret society of of upgrade. Uh, we should have a like a seal, a secret seal for the secret society. Oh, uh, you do say, huh? Hmm. Mm. That's foreshadowing. <laughs> Indeed. What if we did? <gasps> but we don't yet. But it's so secret, you don't even know what it is. <laughs> mm. We do. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Upgrade. If you want to find links for today's show, go to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 72. Uh, I want to thank again Smile and Squarespace for sponsoring this week's show. If you want to find us online, you can head on over to sixcolors.com where you'll find Jason. Uh, Jason also uh, hosts a couple of great podcasts on Relay FM as well as this one, um, and they are Liftoff and Clockwise. And, of course, you can find a cavalcade of shows over mm. at theincomparable.com. If you want to find me online, you can head on over to Twitter. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E, and I am the host of many shows and the fine Relay FM network to mm -hmm. go to relay.fm and you'll find a bunch of great shows there, all the great shows, um, as some would say. Uh, I want to thank you all for listening, as always, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Upgrade. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Bye, Mike. Is that you typing goodbye? <laughs> <laughs>